Ask for a favor. Uh huh. Can I hear you say, come on? Kawaii. Come on. Kawaii. Come on. Kawaii. No. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Yeah. Listen, I love Drew Brown from Pittsburgh. Come on. But his friends are terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Not ramping down. We're just getting started. Nothing stops this train. Thank you. God bless. And come on. It's hard to find an expert more dedicated than John Clayton. He's the consummate pro. We'll see how the 4-3 and the cover 3 work together. John Clayton with the lady. Thanks, Dan. Take care. Whenever we need a brilliant insight, he's available at the drop of a hat. Hey, Ma! I'm done with my segment! Come on, Network, episode 14, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to subscribe, stream, and download. Also, rate and review. Feel free to leave feedback where you see fit. Check us out and follow us on Twitter, Twitch, and Instagram at Come On Network, C-O-M-O-N-N-E-T-W-O-R-K. Check out our website as well, comeon.network, where you'll find podcast episodes, blogs on everything from sports to wing reviews, and eventually merch as well. A very special guest joins us today, John Clayton, Hall of Fame NFL writer, insider, and analyst, a Pittsburgh native, formerly of ESPN, currently a writer and voice with ESPN Radio in Seattle. John Growing up around Pittsburgh, you went to high school in Churchill. Then you went to college at Duquesne. Dive into your upbringing, your background, you know, how you became interested in football and end up, ended up covering your hometown team at the same time as their iconic 70s dynasty. Yeah, I can't tell um, how lucky I am. I mean, it really started with my mother, who was a operating room nurse in the VA hospital in, Pitts, in Oakland. And she was such a big football fan that uh, she pulled me in when I was six years old and started taking me to uh, Steeler games. At that time, it was at Pitt Stadium. And, of course, uh, what uh, the people that were sitting next to her would say is like, why are you bringing the bratty little kid? Sorry, Myron Cope here. The bratty little kid, he's going to just sit here and eat. And, no, I wanted to learn football. So here I was, you know, six, seven years old, you know, watching YA Tittle in the end zone bleeding on a Steeler game there. I was able to, you know, grow and watch the game with my mother. And it got to the point where I kind of knew I was going to go into sports, you know, whether it was going to be broadcasting, whether it was going to be announcing, whether it was going to be uh, writing, all those different things. My mother always encouraged me to write because it does help with the broadcasting. And so sure enough, uh, when I get to my senior year in high school, right before that, I spent some time with my father in St. Mary's PA, and he linked me up with the St. Mary's Daily Press. So in 1972, at the age of 17, I go to Steeler camp, and I was able to be granted a credential where I could cover the 1972 Steelers. And so I was thinking about going to Syracuse um, because I had got a, a little bit of a scholarship there, and I'm thinking, wait a second. So I started covering the Steelers, I started doing the 
little stats for the Pittsburgh Condor basketball team. And I was getting all these little freelance opportunities, some that didn't pay, but then it started with, they started to pay. So what I ended up doing was not going to Syracuse. I ended up going to Duquesne. And in doing so, I had 25 jobs through college that worked out so well, particularly covering the Steelers and football and everything else. I was writing sporting news stuff when I was in uh, 19 years old, doing some stuff for Sports Illustrated. And so got those things going and then got hired by the Pittsburgh Press in the middle of my senior year without on a job that I w- wouldn't even apply for. So I was so fortunate, but so much of it had to be the love of covering football and having the opportunity at a young age to cover football. So growing up uh, before the 1970s in Pittsburgh, before Chuck Knoll, Terry Bradshaw, and any of the Steelers dynasty, how much or maybe more accurately, how little did the Steelers matter in this city um, before that uh, golden age in the 70s? Oh, they're terrible. It's kind of like watching the Florida Marlins right now if you're in baseball. And I can't tell you about this year because I haven't followed the Marlins, but the Miami Marlins now as they're known. But it's like they were terrible. They were one of the worst teams in football. The one thing is carrying a Pittsburgh mentality, it was good on defense or at least hard hitting on defense, but they made so many roster mistakes. And so until Chuck Knoll was hired, and of course Dan Rooney was so involved with that, you know, Chuck Noll came over and he changed everything. You know, they started to then start to get great players. The scouting department developed. You know, Bill Nunn, who just went, went into the Hall of Fame as a contributor, was very much involved in going to the black colleges and being able to find great players who ended up going to the Hall of Fame. But it changed everything in 1969. Started with Joe Green, followed up with Terry Bradshaw, and you throw all those things together, and then you know, we have one of the greatest runs in Super Bowl history, you know, going to four Super Bowls in six years, and then just having the fortune of being able to cut my teeth on covering teams like that. I mean, how lucky can you be? John, I want to ask you quickly about Bill Nunn, obviously a vital piece of that 70 Steelers dynasty, finally getting enshrined into the Hall of Fame. Do you have any good Bill Nunn stories, and how would you describe his impact on the game, especially with the Steelers? Well, one thing was he only made one mistake, and that was, of course, signing me in for the – because he was camp director in 1972. So he signed me up so I could actually watch the practices and do all those things. But I laughingly say that. One thing that was so great about him, he was a former newspaper guy. His father – started the Pittsburgh Courier. He was a writer for the Pittsburgh Courier covering sports. And so one of the things that he did, because he was so far ahead of everybody else, you know, he started to do a uh, HBSU all-star team that he would call all the coaches on the small black colleges and put all that together. And so he had such a knowledge of some of the best black players that are playing for black colleges. And so Eventually, in 1968, none was hired by the Steelers to carry over what he was doing on the newspaper to the front office. And so that worked out so well. And what was great about what Bill was able to do and so helpful in my life is that uh, he helped educate me on so much of this stuff because me being a newspaper person, you know, growing up in Braddock, PA, which was a ghetto and one of the worst ghettos in the state. And what was great is that Bill was one of the most well, he and his father were just incredible people. You know, but back in 1972 and around that time, it was hard for even black entertainers to be able to go into a hotel because there was so much racial negativity. You know that so they'd be checking into hotels. But what ended up happening is that Bill Nunn and his father would take in the James Browns. They would take in some of the best actors. They would take in some of the baseball, football players 
that didn't have the ability to get into a hotel and he'd bring them over to their house. So he'd be either at the nun's house and nun's father's house and do that. But I mean, his ability to recognize talent, his ability to be able to communicate and, you know, led to so many great additions to a Steeler team that was arguably one of the best, if not the best dynasty in the NFL history. John, let me ask you about the 70s a little bit more in detail. I know, obviously, the Steelers being what they were, even just mentioned that one of the best dynasties maybe in, in football history, maybe even in sports history in general. But uh, what was it like covering that team? And I, I'm sure it's a lot easier, as, as we know now, all of us doing some sports coverage and stuff. When the team's good, it's much easier and much more fun to, call, uh, to cover them or to call them, whatever it may be. But, I mean, how much of a success for you was that? And then did it, did it help at all that that success maybe led you to have more eyeballs on your content and more people reading things and maybe that vaulted your career a little bit forward well what was so great is here i was at that young age of 17 to 21 years old cutting my teeth covering one of the greatest dynasties in football history but the players were so great like lc greenwood took good care of me jack lambert took good care of me joe green took good care of me you know you got some of the greatest players who's ever been in this game all together on one team that uh, had great personality great chemistry they had a great coaching all those different things and they just love to go out and dominate football and so that was such a great thing and you know what certainly led to me getting so many opportunities you know either on network radio to do things to uh you know write for top publications you know i wrote for just about mostly every paper uh in the area pittsburgh press beaver county times all those different papers but again the big thing is you're covering football and what ends up happening is that at that time they were so vital the steelers were to the area because you know in the 70s that's when people started you know the steel mills were starting to shut down to a certain degree people were moving out of town and what happens is that uh, the steelers you know really brought out what pittsburgh really was for a community and the people that are there. Hardworking, no nonsense, professional, and they always tried to win. And that's what the, the Steelers did, and that's what the fans were able to identify with, particularly you know coming from the, the bad years of the Steelers before 1969. But it was just such a great thing to cover. And where I'm also fortunate, you know, I moved out here in 1986 to Seattle, and, uh, you know, there was a lot of bad uh, Seahawks teams and all that stuff. But when the Seahawks got real good under Pete Carroll in 2012, 13, and 14, you know, I was so fortunate having covered the Steelers, I knew exactly what was happening. I remember one of the Steeler owners uh, came over to me uh, when I was heading down to, the, uh, down to the locker room at that Super Bowl in 2013 and says, does this remind you of anything? And I said, no, what do you mean? He goes, doesn't it remind you of the Minnesota game? where the Steelers uh, went down and uh, destroyed the Vikings, you know, in a very close game, but batted down so many Fran Tarkington passes. And I said, yeah. And so you sensed that this was going to be a great team, one of the better defensive teams. And that's the one thing about the Steelers. It was defense, big plays by Terry Bradshaw, good running and great offensive line blocking. Yeah, John, uh, the way that you it's sort of formulated your answer kind of segues into my next thought. So shifting into today's game and today with the Pittsburgh Steelers, I don't think that they've really lost that mantra, doing what it takes to win football games. Uh, and a lot of people around here previously, uh, somebody you talk to uh, very frequently here at 93.7, the fan in Pittsburgh, Andrew Filipponi, is a big Leonard Fournette guy. And I, he's on record saying that if the Steelers don't sign Leonard Fournette right now, they're not doing everything that they 
could to win. Where do you stand on Leonard Fournette and his recent availability now to everybody else in the league? And does he really even fit with the Pittsburgh Steelers? Well, I wouldn't claim him on waivers because then you have to pick up a, a guaranteed $4.1 million salary. But if he gets, doesn't get claimed, which we'll know sometime on Tuesday, then then I think it could be a consideration. You got to understand it's like, uh, you know, he has been up and down his entire career. You know, he's kind of limited in some of his running, but again, he's a big back who's talented. I mean, he was a fourth pick in the 2017 back, uh, draft, but what he's also not is a guy that uh, one year will work hard. One year will not work hard. I don't know where he was this year as far as his work ethic. And so it's a consideration, but I would have to think there's going to be, you know, more teams like Chicago, maybe the Philadelphia Eagles, I think they're going to be more of an urgent need for a running back. John Clayton, Hall of Fame NFL writer with us. John, looking at the Steelers today, uh, I, I know you are out in Seattle, but obviously paying attention to the entire NFL. And as mentioned, you make frequent stops on 93.7 The Fan in Pittsburgh. A healthy Ben Roethlisberger equals how many wins for this Steelers team? You know, I thought it was funny. I was just looking at NFL.com, and, you know, they started to project some wins against replacements. And, uh, you know, it obviously started out with 5.5 with Patrick Mahomes and, you know, some of the top quarterbacks. You know, it used to be, I think, four or five. Now I think probably three, three and a half, somewhere in that area. But still enough to get this team over the top and get it to maybe 11 or 12 wins. Understand that they have one of the easiest schedules, if not the easiest schedule in the National Football League. They take on so many teams that uh, don't have top quarterbacks or have young quarterbacks, and Ben's going to win games against the young quarterbacks. As long as he stays healthy and the defense is as good, if not better, than it was last year when it was a top-five defense, I think what you're looking at is 11 or 12 wins with uh, you know, Ben Roethlisberger at quarterback. So as far as it goes for um, NFL attendance this fall, it doesn't look like it's necessarily going to be a one-size-fits-all type of deal. At the moment, at least, it's looking like some teams will have limited attendance while others will have uh, no fans at all for their home games. So some within the NFL, Sean McDermott probably most vocally, um, feel that having teams with fans would create an unfair advantage for those who have to play home games without fans. So – What's your take on that? And do you feel that if a few teams are unable to have fans, that that same should go for the rest of the league? No, I think they should have it uh, with the individual areas, making the decisions with the politicians, you know, with the people in that area to see what can happen. Because, you know, we don't know if some of the areas like in Pittsburgh, it can open up after three or four games. And maybe it can. Uh, you just have to judge it. But I think as it stands right now, there's only going to be maybe five or six teams that are going to have fans in the stands and nobody pretty much over 20,000. So what you're having is like baseball, like crowds in football, like stadiums. So I don't know how much noise that's going to generate, but the league to come down, you know, and basically say it's going to be an unfair advantage. I disagree. There's still going to be noise in the stadium, but again, it's almost like if you're having 16,000 people in Kansas city to watch the chiefs, it's almost going to be like listening to a Miami Marlins game, only there's more people in the stands for a Chiefs game than there's going to be in the Marlins games. 
John, I want to bounce something off you. The Earl Thomas situation with Baltimore, uh, what a week ago or so, as we're recording this on August 31st, uh, it was obviously tenuous. A lot of, uh, I think, reports coming out since then that maybe there's been stuff that's been going on over the last year or so since he's been in Baltimore and he gets released. But I also noticed on your Twitter feed uh, this past week kind of the, the rebuilding of the Seattle defense without Earl Thomas and how they've been able to do that success. So I just don't know, do you have anything on more on that Earl Thomas? situation obviously Pittsburgh fans look at yeah. that and are pretty happy that Earl Thomas is no longer in the division yeah because you're talking about a borderline Hall of Fame player guy that may make it into the Hall of Fame for how good he was because for so many years he was the best safety along with Eric Berry formerly of the Kansas City Chiefs but something's changed in Earl you know Earl has uh, was always the quiet guy in the locker room for the most part he was very studious he spent so much time studying his uh, playbook studying uh, all the iPads and things like that to read things that he could play in the games against quarterbacks, that that's where he was. I mean, he would be, he wasn't a great leader during the week because he was so intent on leading himself into making plays. And he was in such a simple defense, a cover one, cover three, that it worked so well because athletically he had great range, he had great instincts, and he was a great player. But something in the last couple of years, you know, particularly with the contract holdout that he had, he became bitter. I mean, you can see that uh, when he got the second major leg injury, he flipped number one to uh, Pete Carroll because he was upset about him. And then, you know, he wanted to go to the Dallas Cowboys. He ended up going to Baltimore after stiffing Kansas City because Kansas City offered him a one-year $12 million contract. And all of a sudden, next thing you know, he's in a plane to Baltimore and gets 13.75. But the defense was more complicated. It didn't work out as well. He was making more mistakes. And uh, even though he went to the Pro Bowl last year and their defense was great, things got even worse this offseason. And that got to the point where you know, he started fighting with his teammates. The teammates hated him. You know, they wanted him off the team. So it was a bad situation. And what happened to him, I don't know. Somebody is going to take him and put him on the roster as they should because he's that talented. But right now, there's something amiss right now. And, uh, and we saw that with Antonio Brown. But there's something amiss right now with what we see from Earl Thomas. So that kind of segues, John, into what I was going to ask you about. So we've talked a lot about uh, the Steelers and where they stand, but where do the Baltimore Ravens stand defensively and as a team without Earl Thomas being there? The Cleveland Browns, you know, are they finally going to put it together? And how do the Cincinnati Bengals fare with Joe Burrow? In your uh, opinion, what is the rest of the landscape like for the Pittsburgh Steelers and what should fans expect out of the teams that they're going to play twice a year? Yeah, the question is going to be, is there going to be a little bit of a drop-off in Baltimore? They're better as far as pass rush right now. They're better as far as their defensive line. That's encouraging. You know, they've got some losses on the offensive line that may pull them back. Or game. I mean, I look at both Pittsburgh and Baltimore being 11 or 12 win teams. I think that uh, it may be harder for Lamar Jackson to match what he did last year, but he certainly was the MVP and did such a great job. I look at Cleveland, I think, you know, this is now going to be the first time, I think, since 2014, that three teams from the division are going to make it. Because I think Cleveland, with their talent, uh, Kevin Stefanski as the head coach, a better version of Baker Mayfield, I think they can get a wild card. But that's still going to be maybe you know nine wins, ten wins at the most. What benefits all three teams in the division that I talk about is that they got an easy schedule. And taking the easy schedule gives them the benefit of getting a lot of wins that other teams aren't going to be able to go. Cincinnati, I mean, listen, they're better but they're still going to be 
a team that's going to be drafting in the top 10 of the draft because they have such a long way to go. And some of the moves they made in free agency didn't work out. Remember, they put $14 million a year into Trey Waynes. And what happened to him? He ended up uh, getting a pec injury. And he's out for the season. So then now weaker at the cornerback position. They didn't get uh, Denard, Denard back at corner. So it's overall, I'd say right now that uh, since he's in for a long season, that the AFC North's in for a good season. You're preparing for an NFL season that you're, and you're close to a division that is perhaps the best in football. Where would you rank the NFC West and who do you think comes out of that division on top? Yeah, I think the NFC West is the best division. You know, certainly C- Seattle's edged closer to San Francisco and may at some point pass them up this year because look at the injuries the 49ers have. They're down four, three receivers, maybe even four with Brandon Ayuk fighting a hamstring injury. You know, then they have other injuries that are carryovers from last year. And like any team that loses a Super Bowl like they did, there's a Super Bowl hangover. I mean, Nick Boza is week to week, not day to day. He'll be there for the start of the season, it appears. Debo Samuel, they think he's going to be there, but that's going to be a concern. Where Seattle, they've now got one of the best secondaries in football with the moves that they made. You know, they got more speed on the defense. They're still a little light right now in the pass rush, but they've got Russell Wilson. And you talk about quarterback value. I mean, I know NFL.com just put him at 5.3 wins against replacement. And uh, that's third best in the league, but he's pretty much the second best quarterback in the NFL. So right now, I think you've got 11 wins for both San Francisco and Seattle. I think you've got maybe... Oh, nine wins, maybe eight wins for Arizona, and maybe eight wins for the Rams. But still, that's a good division. It's the best in football. And also, they, they got easy matchups with quarterbacks. So that kind of segues into my next question. Uh, Arizona made a lot of the headlines a few months ago by acquiring DeAndre Hopkins from the Texans. I know you just said they're probably around an eight-win team, but do you think if things bounce in the right place, uh, the Cardinals are a team that in Kyler Murray's second year could – end up sneaking into the playoffs as a wild card, even with the strength of the rest of that division? I tend to doubt it. I think that they're, they're going to be the most improved team in football. But understand it's like, uh, you know, Kyler is going to be one of the better young quarterbacks in the league, and he's going to be emerging and being a good one for a long period of time. But they're still not great on defense. You know, they still have problems at the cornerback position. You know, Robert Alford's now going to miss his second consecutive season. And so the defense is going to dictate where they're going to be. But – offensively, they're going to be really good. DeAndre Hopkins is the second best receiver in football and probably will be catching over 100 passes and a lot of yards, all those different things. But I still think that uh, there's still a little bit more building to do on Arizona. You know, last year, everybody, I said San Francisco was going to be the most improved team in football. I didn't think they were going to go to the Super Bowl. But remember, here's where the adjustment was. San Francisco didn't have Jimmy Garoppolo in the 2-14 and season with the knee injury. He came back and elevated them, and they were able to hit a lot of good things. Still, in the end, I think Arizona, you know, 8-9, and then maybe next year can fight for the playoffs. And again, remember, you're in an NFC where you have 12 quarterbacks that are making $21 million or more, and uh, only all but one of them, Jimmy Garoppolo, have been to the Pro Bowl. John, a big hot button, I don't want to call it a debate, but the people in Pittsburgh, I think our generation of fans, people younger than us, and maybe people maybe 10, 12 years older than us maybe didn't see Terry Bradshaw play live. The hot button debate is Ben or Terry Bradshaw, Roethlisberger or Bradshaw in terms of who's the better quarterback in history. I mean, you've covered them both and seen them both play. So I want to get your opinion on the Ben versus Terry debate. 
It's it's pretty easy. It's Terry Bradshaw because you look at the talent that he has, the throwing ability, the fact that he went to four Super Bowls and won. Now, remember, it's a different era because that was a running defense league back then. You didn't throw the ball as much. I mean, you can go through a game and throw less than 15, 14 passes and be able to win. You know, Ben certainly, once he came in in 2004, has had a pro football Hall of Fame type career but he doesn't have the number of Super Bowl wins that you have right now with Terry Bradshaw because when Terry needed to play the big game, he played the big game and was able to win those big games. He adjusted to the changes in the defenses and changes in the games in the 70s. So Ben, is there, I mean, he'll be joining him in the Hall of Fame, but Terry is better. So, John, in your days uh, covering the Steelers exclusively, like you alluded to earlier, is there a certain interview, a certain moment that you remember covering uh, the Steelers uh, way back in the day that really sticks out at you as a memorable moment to this day? I know a lot of people talk about Chuck Knoll in that regard. Is there a Chuck Knoll story that you could share? Well, it was interesting because, you know, Chuck, uh, I still remember back in, what, 78 or so when – uh, they, they closed practice in the spring, you know, because, uh, you know, they didn't, what they were doing was they were actually having padded practices, which was technically illegal. And so I found out about that, wrote about it. And Chuck was just furious with me. I was banned from the building, but what was so great about Chuck because Art Rooney senior uh, came, I saw him in the summertime after be banning from the building for about three months. Cause I was always parking over by the stadium. Cause I was working at the Pittsburgh press, you know, uh, Art says, Hey son, uh, see, they, uh, they've been pretty rough on you. Well, you've done good, kid. And so Chuck Knoll re-embraced me. I would be in his office every Friday. And the interesting part about Chuck is that, uh, you know, you can talk football and he's going to be great talking football, but he's not going to give you a lot of the football insight that you might want. What he did do is, you know, tell you about life in general. You tell me about what uh, stories that we hear coming across the bridge on NPR and all those different stations and that, but he was such an educated guy and he was so good to deal with. I mean, again, you're talking about a guy that uh, you know, did everything by hand when he would be doing game plans and that, I mean, he didn't use the computers. They weren't really there then, but again, he was just a remarkable person and a remarkable I still remember the one time that uh, you know he was a big wine guy and then he got a little bit of a wine allergy and he almost had to give up drinking wine you know and give it all to his son who ended up kind of betraying him a little bit going into the newspaper business or going into writing but then uh, ultimately it all worked out and uh, he was fine on everything but such a gentleman and such a great coach. John you mentioned the time that you that you saw the Steelers uh, illegally practicing uh, with pads on it was dubbed shoulder gate uh, that ended up being a pretty big moment in your career and it's kind of wild to think that that happened uh, at the age of 24 it would cost the team a third round pick you know you, you almost became Pittsburgh's most wanted after that and I, I was reading an article by Joe Starkey that mentioned even Myron Cope called you out uh, for sort of getting the Steelers in trouble in a way. Uh, I've read the articles, but I want to hear the the story in your own words, if you don't mind. Yeah, what ended up happening is that, uh, you know, Chuck is so generous with the media through the years. Practices were always open, uh, all practices. And then all of a sudden it closed. And so you started calling around and I find out it's like, you know, I, I went into the locker room because they still had the locker room open. And I go over and I they had that year took three defensive linemen. And so you wanted to see if Willie Fry and the other two defensive linemen, could they equal the steel curtain? 
And Willie was telling me how painful it was in practice. He says, man, it's just so painful that it's like, uh, you know, we were hitting so hard yesterday with the pads and all that stuff. Didn't register. I go over to Randy Rudershan, who was from Pitt. You know, he was a special teams player, a running back. And he was telling me how he, on the weekend, went to Conneaut Lakes Park and was out there with his girlfriend, you know, in the boat. And he got sunburned. He said, when you put shoulder pads on sunburn, it's like, it really hurts. Didn't register. Then John Banisak came walking over. He said, hey, John, I need your help. Nobody's ever done this before with me. He says, could you pull my jersey over my shoulder pads? So he was tipping me off. He's like, now it registered. So I go back and I uh, call the league office and ask, hey, so what is the rule as far as shoulder pads in minicamp? And they told me the rule was no shoulder pads in minicamp. And so it's like, okay. And then within five minutes, I got a call from the Steeler PR office saying, hey, you can't write that we have shoulder pads on in practice. You can't do that. It's like, well, thank you for the confirmation. I did. I get banned from the facility. Chuck Knoll part, calls me part of the uh, evil empire uh, tied to the Raider organization. Uh, it's like, okay. And in fact, even my mother called up uh, Myron Cope and said how mad she was at me for breaking this story. But again, you're a reporter. And if you find out something and you have to do it, document it, I did, it was right, but boy, I had to pay a price for it, but ultimately I came out of it fine. So you were featured in one of the most famous uh, sports center commercials in ESPN history. It's my personal favorite. So how exactly did that commercial come about? Uh, like who had the idea for that and how was, uh, how were the seeds kind of planted for that? Uh, yeah, for that the, ad agency, the ad agency that does so many of those great commercials wanted me for that commercial because, you know, we're going into a new era. We have cameras at home, you know, we're doing all those different things. I got the second ESPN camera at home. Peter Damon's got the first. And so, uh, you know, it was kind of, and they went off a couple movies and things like that. And so what happened was, the uh, ad agency had been pushing to get this with me for two years, but I never knew about it. And then they had people back in Bristol trying to see if they can get that commercial. And he said, no, we want Clayton. And so I uh, ended up uh, getting the script and I said, absolutely. I'd be happy to do it. I ended up uh, going to Los Angeles. They had 65 people doing this uh, commercial and they thought it could be the best in the history of ESPN. And so we did it. We did 22 takes. We had all the right takes by the 10th one. And we started to improvise. But the great part was that they wanted, they thought it was going to be so popular, which I guess it is, that they actually had a special in August of that year. And so what happened in August is that they have a special and they have a voting uh, on it in the fans. And dumb me with 1.5 million followers, I didn't tweet out to vote for me. But Jay-Z, who represented Robinson Cano and had 5 million followers, did tweet it out. And so he ended up beating me out. But I'll still take the idea that I think it's the best commercial. John Clayton, Hall of Fame NFL writer, insider, and analyst, and a Pittsburgh native. John, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Hey, thank you. Good luck. Thank you. Coming up next on the Come On Network, we'll continue our NFL preview episode as we have the season starting Thursday night and a full slate of games Sunday and the Steelers on Monday night. That's coming up next on the Come On Network. The Come On Network podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts, be that Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Anchor, or another. Listen to past episodes anytime you want, and don't forget to download episodes so they're available at your fingertips. We'd also appreciate a subscribe, rating, or review. You can find much more from the Come On Network on Twitter and Instagram, at Come On Network, that's C-O-M-O-N, 
C-O-M-E-O-N-N-E-T-W-O-R-K, Come On Network. And you can find us on the web at comeon.network for blog posts, podcast episodes, columns, hot takes, and more, including merch coming soon. And of course, as always, a thanks to Anchor, the best way to make a podcast. And now more of the Come On Network podcast. Welcome back on to the Come On Network podcast. Another another thank you to John Clayton, Hall of Fame NFL writer, insider, and analyst for joining us. Our NFL prediction show, preview show. And guys, we are just a few days away from the NFL season starting on Thursday night, defending Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs hosting the Houston Texans. Under a week away, from our first NFL Sunday, and we are one week away from watching the Steelers play for the first time in the 2020 season. We will have a Steelers preview episode coming out later this week, probably on Friday. But, fellas, want to get into just your NFL predictions, uh, you know, run down the divisions, who you have winning the divisions, maybe uh, if there's a wild card team from said division. There is an extra wild card now in 2020, so there will be seven seeds instead of six on both sides. That means only the one seed gets that vital bye week during the wild card round. So, Kyle, we'll start with you. Uh, you know, AFC East all the way through the NFC West. What does your 2020 NFL season look like? See, this is probably going to change even when I'm going through it. Donnie and I were texting before we started to record this show. I have absolutely no idea what I want to do with a lot of the NFC, and I've I've bounced between a couple of things in the AFC as well, so I guess I'll just stick to my guns here and not change anything. In the AFC East, I have Buffalo as the champion, uh, rounding out, followed by the Patriots, the Dolphins, the Jets in that order in the AFC East. Uh, in the north, I have the Baltimore Ravens, and I think it's going to be by a game or two over the Pittsburgh Steelers, and we'll talk about this in our Steelers episode later this week a little bit more heavily, but I think the Ravens are probably a 12 or a 13 win team. They've got an easy schedule, uh, so give me Baltimore at the AFC North crown, and then Pittsburgh a game or two behind the Ravens as a wild card team. I'll get to where they're seated in the AFC here in a moment. Uh, I have Cleveland in third place also getting a, a wild card spot, and then Cincinnati being a lone team out of the north that is not in the AFC playoffs. In the AFC South, I've got Tennessee as the champion, uh, Houston at two, the Colts and Jaguars at three and four in the West. Uh, Kansas City is the top overall seed in the AFC, winning the AFC West. I've got Denver two, the Las Vegas Raiders three, and the LA Chargers in last place in the AFC West. Uh, in terms of the seeds in the AFC, before I get over to the NFC, I've got KC one, Baltimore two, Buffalo three, Tennessee four, the Steelers five, the Houston Texans sixth, and Cleveland in seventh out of the AFC North. So three AFC North teams. So we'll go through the playoff run a little bit later with what I have in the AFC. In terms of the NFC, uh, I've got Dallas as the East Division champion, Philadelphia, the New York Giants, and the Washington football team, two, three, four. In the North, I've got the Vikings at three or the Vikings that three overall, their seed in the NFC. So I've got them winning the division Green Bay in second place. 
Detroit in third and Chicago in fourth. In the NFC South, I've got New Orleans winning the division, Tampa Bay behind them, Atlanta and Carolina following up in the rear in the South. And then in the NFC West, I think this is going to be one of the best divisions in football. For my money, the two best divisions in football right now are probably the NFC West and the AFC North. And Seattle, I have winning the division, eking out the 49ers in second place. And I think I don't have the Cardinals in right now, but that's a team that I bounced around, maybe making them the sixth or the seventh seed in the NFC and having three uh, teams coming out of the NFC West. I think Arizona is going to be a really good football team this year, and we can get into them a little bit once we're beyond the predictions side of things. But I have Arizona third in that division, and I have the L.A. Rams in last place. Um, so for the NFC seeds, I've got New Orleans at one, Seattle at two, Minnesota at three, Dallas at four, the wild card teams five, six, seven, being the 49ers, the Bucks, and the Packers, respectively. Yeah, I have a pretty similar look on the NFC side, Kyle. Uh, some differences, though, uh, for sure. My, my AFC East, I have the Bills. Uh, winning that division. And I have the Bills claiming the two seed. Both of my two seeds are pretty surprising uh, on in both the AFC and NFC. Patriots at number two. I still think the, the Pats with Bill Belichick and now Cam Newton at quarterback make the playoffs. They get the sixth seed. Dolphins and Jets behind them. AFC North, I, I agree with you. I think the Ravens are probably a 12 or 13 win football team. Not quite the, the dominant force that we saw in the regular season last year. And the Steelers, a game or two behind them uh, with those teams splitting regular season matchups during the season. Uh, the, the Browns, though, you know, I, I've picked them before to make the playoffs and they, they've just not really disappointed because I'm, I'm never in the position where I'm rooting for the Cleveland Browns. But that's almost the reversal of my, my thought process with the New England Patriots. I won't believe the Browns are good until they actually show me, just like how, you know, at least for our lifetimes, I won't believe the Patriots are bad until they actually show me. So the Browns come in third, they miss the playoffs, Bengals in fourth. AFC South, only one team making the playoffs here. And I went with the Houston Texans. Uh, the defending division champion, the Titans, I have finishing third behind the Colts, but that may be just a tiebreaker situation, two teams with the same record. Jaguars, the obvious fourth finisher in that division. AFC West, the Chiefs are going to own this for probably the next decade. That's the AFC's one seed. The Broncos are one of my surprises. Uh, I have the Denver Broncos snagging the seventh and final seed in the AFC. Then the Raiders, who show some promise again. Uh, I like some of their you know, draft picks. Uh, Henry Ruggs, you know, they always go for that fast receiver, and we'll see if, if this one works out. The L.A. Chargers finishing in last. Over to the NFC, the East is absolute dog shit. I think that is the most garbage division in all of the National Football League. It, it, it almost annoys me that with how stacked the NFC seems to be this year that they're going to waste a playoff team on the East. I have the Cowboys winning it. But in reality, whoever wins that division will get shoved in the first round by the top wild card uh, in the NFC. The Eagles in second, Washington in third, the Giants in fourth. NFC North, here's my other surprise two seed, the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, I, I like the Vikings defense a lot. They added Yannick and Gawkway. And if Kirk Cousins can step up in some big games, uh, I really like them out of the North as a two seed. Packers come in second. They missed the playoffs this year after – being one of the top teams in the NFC last season. 
Lions in third, and then the Bears fall to fourth because I think Mitch Trubisky continues to struggle, and they go to Nick Foles at some point during the season. NFC South, here's one of the more exciting divisions, especially with the addition now of Tom Brady and, and a lot of uh, skilled players for that matter. Leonard Fournette, Shady McCoy, Rob Gronkowski to the Buccaneers. But they don't win that division. I go with the Saints as the NFC's three seed and the Buccaneers is number six. So that suits up very well for a wild card matchup if those seeds would hold. The Panthers finished third. Uh, I like Teddy Bridgewater. I love his story and Christian McCaffrey is probably the, the best skilled player in the National Football League. Falcons finished fourth. NFC West, uh, a lot of us agree on this. This is the best division in the, foot, in the National Football League right now. Uh, this is one John Clayton follows very closely, living out in Seattle, and he agreed with us there. Seahawks edge out the 49ers. They finish first. I like the 49ers, though, as the top wildcard team. They will be number five. And then the Cardinals also make the playoffs, one of my surprises, as the final seed in the NFC. Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury, they finish seventh in the NFC, making the playoffs. And then the Rams finish in last. So, Donnie, um, one comment that you made I completely disagree with, but we'll get there. The AFC. The AFC North, I have the Baltimore Ravens, and I actually have the Baltimore Ravens edging out Kansas City by one game. I think Baltimore will end up being the number one seed in the AFC. I don't really think it matters when it gets down to crunch time, but I think Baltimore has the more favorable schedule and will end up going. I have them at 13-3. and three. Pittsburgh, uh, second, 11-5. and five. I, That's where I have the Steelers, and they will be, as the way that I broke it out, uh, the top wild card spot, the fifth seed in the AFC playoffs. Uh, Cleveland, almost there, not quite, probably somewhere around 9, 7, 8, and 8. Maybe might be in the playoff hunt until uh, the last week of the regular season and then be bounced and can't – or, I'm sorry, uh, Cincinnati with Joe Burrow in a new, co- uh, or in a new system um, have some work to do. In the AFC South, I have the Houston Texans winning that division at 10 and 6. I think Deshaun Watson's a pretty good quarterback, and despite – uh, the moves that Bill O'Brien has made uh, as the general manager as of the Houston Texans, I still think he's a pretty good football coach. Uh, and that's not a very good division either. So I have the Houston Texans winning that division. And, yeah, that's the only team I have coming out of the AFC South. I think Tennessee will take a little bit of a step back. Uh, I'm not sure that paying Ryan Tannehill all that kind of money was a good move. Um, we'll see how he can do as their starting quarterback for a full season. And, and then um, Indianapolis – probably maybe like a nine and seven, eight and eight type of team. Another team that'll be in the hunt with the Cleveland Browns for a playoff spot until the last week of the regular season. Um, I'm just not sure if, that Phil Rivers at this stage in his career has what it takes to get to a new team and learn a new system and put the Colts in the playoffs. And then the Jacksonville Jaguars are probably going to end up with the number one overall pick because uh, I'm not sure that there's more of a, I don't want to say pathetic, but pathetic team in the NFL right now. The AFC East, I have the New England Patriots coming out 10-6, and six, and this is a division that's also really bad. We talk about the NFC East being one of the worst divisions in football. The AFC East, with the and we can look at it historically, the New England Patriots, as good as they've been with Tom Brady, have ran through this division. And if you take Tom Brady out of that division, like it is this year, it's not great. I'd probably put it second worst in football behind the NFC East. Yeah, um, but I think I, I don't want to cut you off, but I think no, the AFC East at least has two teams now you could consider to be pretty solid since the Bills have come up over the last few years. But the Dolphins and Jets are not 
good franchises whatsoever. I no. think the Dolphins are going up, though, and the Jets are going down. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think, well, when it breaks down to the um, the NFC East, you said two in the AFC East. I agree with. I think the NFC East really only has one. Uh, but as we move along, so the New England Patriots, I have making the playoffs at 10-6. and six. I also have the Buffalo Bills being 10-6. and six. I'm not sure how that's going to shake out. Probably a tiebreaker. Maybe New England beats Buffalo twice. I don't know, but I think New England will end up with the division title. Buffalo, in that case, will end up with the six seed, both of those teams being 10-6. and six. Uh, The Jets, another team kind of close, but, I mean, they're just, for whatever reason, as much promise is built with the Jets, they take a step back. Trading Jamal Adams away to Seattle, uh, I see them probably being uh, the third-place team in the AFC East, maybe 5-11, and and I think uh, the Miami Dolphins 4-12. and You might be able to flip-flop those. I don't know. But either way, you're going to have two teams in the playoffs and then a significant gap in the AFC East. And the AFC West, number two seed, the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, 12 and four this season. And I only put them a game behind Baltimore just because of how favorable uh, the Baltimore Ravens schedule is. Uh, I think Pittsburgh's was 31st in the NFL as far as difficulty. So the second easiest and Baltimore's was the easiest ranking dead last as far as difficulty goes. So I give Baltimore the advantage there. Kansas city at 12 and four, the number two seed. And then I have the Denver Broncos sneaking into that seven spot, nine and seven. I think Drew Locke is going to be, um, like a Baker Mayfield of sorts and be a, a good enough quarterback, not great by any means, but good enough to put your team in the playoffs. And I think, well, not that Baker Mayfield's done that yet, but I think eventually the Browns at some point will make the playoffs. That's besides the point. But I think Denver at nine and seven finds that number seven seed. I still think that defense is adequate enough to be a playoff defense. And I think with the addition of guys like Jerry Judy uh, and Melvin Gordon into that offense, they might be pretty solid. So give me the Broncos at nine and seven. And then the AFC West, uh, the Raiders probably around nine and seven, eight and eight. Uh, and then the Chargers, I think, are going to be well below 500. They have some work to do. They got some kinks to work out uh, with Justin Herbert as the quarterback. I'm not sure when that Justin Herbert will take over. It'll be Tyrod Taylor to start, but I bet you Justin Herbert will finish. So Baltimore, Kansas City, Houston, New England, Pittsburgh, Buffalo, Denver, one through seven uh, for the AFC for me. And now we go to the NFC. The NFC North, I have the Green Bay Packers at 11 and five, taking that crown. Uh, I just think Aaron Rodgers coming back has a, enough left in the tank to give the Green Bay Packers another division title uh, and keep them uh, around in the playoffs until Jordan Love, uh, like we think, will take over as the man for Green Bay. The NFC South, this is my number one overall seed. The New Orleans Saints, very, very good. Drew Brees, statistically the best quarterback to ever play football, uh, is still has no signs of slowing down a really good defense, uh, and uh, an addition of Emmanuel Sanders. I've been there, done that receiver to Drew Brees to put on the other side of Michael Thomas. I really like a whole lot. Uh, the NFC – oh, wait, I skipped over. No, I made a last-second change, so I'll get to that now. The second wild-card team and who I have probably uh, going – or rather the first wild-card team, I'm sorry, going 10-6 and six will be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, wow, I mean, I, I don't know how well that those guys will gel together they might start out slow but on paper you have guys like Godwin and Evans who are already there yeah arguably if not the best quarterback to ever play football in Tom Brady despite his age he's still pretty darn good and then Ronald Jones already in that running back room and you put LaShawn McCoy have been there done that veteran debatably a Hall of Fame running back and Leonard Fournette who has proven to be that he can be a top back in the league and they're going to be able to 
kind of replicate that running back by committee um, situation that Tom Brady dealt with pretty much his entire career in New England. There hasn't been that one back um, for Tom Brady to hand the ball off to or dump a pass off of to. Uh, now he's got three like he normally does uh, in New England. Michelle White, uh, Rex Burkhead, and now it's Ronald Jones, uh, Leonard Fournette, and LaShawn McCoy. So the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I think, will be the number five seed. Um, and then the NFC South, while I like what Matt Rule and I like Teddy Bridgewater and Carolina, um, I think they'll probably end up in third. And the Atlanta Falcons, I think they just stink. I think the Dan Quinn experiment in Atlanta is done. I think Matt Ryan's very old, and I think Julio Jones is really quietly kind of falling off of the radar. It was arguably – you know, four, three, four years ago, considered the best wide receiver in the league. And now I don't want to say he's irrelevant now, but it's just, it's not going well for Atlanta. I have them in last place. Uh, the NFC East, uh, the Dallas Cowboys winning that division, 11 and five, the only team out of that division making the playoffs. And Donnie, when I mentioned earlier, what I agree with you with, I'll get to that in a moment. And the NFC West, I have the Seattle Seahawks at 10 and six, winning that division. Uh, and then two other teams out of that division um, making the playoffs. I have the San Francisco 49ers who take a little bit of a step back, the six seed, nine and seven, and the Arizona Cardinals at eight and eight, getting that final playoff spot uh, out of the NFC West. And then uh, the LA Rams, just, I think the Jared Goff experiment, not experiment, but the tenure for Jared Goff there uh, is running a little dry. Um, I like Cam Akers for them to take over for Todd Gurley, but I don't know how good he'll be as a rookie. Um, but I still – I could see him end up maybe squeaking in as a 1,000-yard rusher, but just not enough to uh, make the L.A. Rams anywhere in contention for the NFC in the playoffs. So the NFC, I have Dallas uh, – or I'm sorry, New Orleans, Green Bay, Dallas, Seattle, Tampa, San Fran, Arizona, one through seven. Um, and the, I guess we'll get to our Super Bowl picks later, but that might be where – Donnie, I don't want to spoil myself where you and I disagree. All right, Joe Smelter, take us through. What does your NFL division slate look like? Thank you, Donnie. Uh, we'll start with the AFC North. And I do have the Steelers coming out of the AFC North. I think last year, Baltimore had everything go right. Pittsburgh had everything go wrong. I'm certainly not expecting the same for 2020. I think it's going to be a very close divisional race, probably similar to how it was in 2016 when nothing was decided until that now famous Christmas Day game at Heinz Field. Uh, for the specific order, the AFC North, I have Pittsburgh at one, Baltimore in second, Cleveland in third, and Cincinnati in the cellar at fourth, even with the addition of Joe Burrow. And I have the Steelers as the number two seed in the AFC. Moving to the ASC South, um, I can kind of see myself eating my own poop uh, in multiple ways on this division. I think what I have right now, one, two, and three, I have Tennessee, Indianapolis, and Houston. But I could literally see any order with those top three teams. I think the only sure thing it seems to be in the ASC South is Jacksonville is going to finish in the last. The reason I have Tennessee winning is uh, really because of coaching, what it comes down to. Uh, we all know Bill O'Brien has his issues as both a head coach and a GM as far as in-game decision-making and off-season decision-making, which with the trade of DeAndre Hawkins, which at the moment looks like an absolute fleece on the part of Arizona. As far as the Colts go, I like Frank Reich, but Phillip Rivers isn't getting any younger. And if I had to choose between Frank Reich and Mike Vrabel, I'd probably choose Vrabel. I think what Vrabel has accomplished in just a short time as an NFL head coach 
um, is pretty impressive. I think him and Derrick Henry are the two primary reasons why the Titans were one game away from the Super Bowl last year. And if I had to pick a tiebreaker, I'd say coaching and also defense, especially with the addition of Jadavian Clowney for Tennessee. I like the way Tennessee plays kind of that old school style of football, which is free yards in a cloud of dust and then um, shut the offense down on the other end. So it's going to be Tennessee, I think, Indianapolis, Houston, and then Jacksonville in fourth. But like I said, that top three could go anyway. And I have Tennessee. I think whoever wins the AFC South is going to be the fourth seed, the last of the division winners in the AFC. Moving toward the AFC East, I know it's fashionable to pick Buffalo because this is the first time in a while that there's a realistic chance New England won't win the division. But I do see New England winning the division once again. I don't think uh, – I think the days of the Patriots being a perennial Super Bowl favorite are over. I don't think the AFC East is going to be a formality as of week seven like it is in most other years. But I still see New England as the cream of the crop in this division, as promising as Buffalo is. And the main reason for that is the way they filled that quarterback position with Cam Newton being Tom Brady's replacement. Now, Cam Newton won't be the Cam Newton of 2015. He's certainly not going to win another MVP award. But what he does do is give Josh McDaniels in that offense a dynamic that they previously didn't have before. How long has it been since Tom Brady was anything even resembling a mobile quarterback? Now the Patriots have a mobile quarterback, one of the better dual-threat QBs in the National Football League. I think Newton's also a comeback player of the year candidate, and he will be more than adequate in filling Tom Brady's shoes. So that's really the main reason I see New England still repeating as AFC East champions for I think it would be the 12th year in a row. I've lost track of how many years in a row that New England's won that division. That's how impressive they've been. And you also have to think about that defense. The typical Patriot defense will do its job like it has in the past. As far as uh, specific rankings in the AFC East go, I have New England 1, Buffalo 2, Buffalo getting a wild card spot, and then the Dolphins are free and the Jets um, in last place. The Jets, I think, are just an absolute train wreck and won't be much improved on the field. I have the Patriots as the free seed in the AFC playoff picture. Going to the last division, the AFC, the AFC West, I think this is probably the easiest division to predict as far as the division winner is concerned in all of football. I think the Chiefs clearly will repeat in the AFC West. There's no reason they shouldn't. Denver is improved. I think Denver has a shot at making the playoffs, although I don't have them in the playoffs. But with Patrick Mahomes in that offense, regardless of whether or not they repeat a Super Bowl chance, I don't see any reason Chiefs don't win the AFC West and win it convincingly. Specific order, I have the Chiefs at one, Denver at two, Chargers at three. I think Herbert's going to be pretty solid. And then the Vegas Raiders coming in the cellar in the first season in a new city. As far as specific seeding in the AFC goes, I have the Chiefs as the one seed. Steelers at two, New England at three, Tennessee Titans at four, that last division winner. As far as wildcard teams go, I think the Ravens are a pretty good bet to make the playoffs again, despite failing to repeat, to freepeat, I guess you could say, in the AFC North. I have them as the five seed, first wildcard team. The Buffalo Bills as the six seed. And then sneaking in in that seven seed, the Indianapolis Colts in the first year uh, of the Phillip Rivers era, however short that era may be. So moving toward 
Moving to the NFC, starting with the NFC North, I have Green Bay repeating again. I just don't really see any reason not to have the Packers, although I do like the Vikings and I like the Lions too. But with Aaron Rodgers at quarterback, uh, I'm told Green Bay gives me a legitimate reason to doubt them. I'm still going to kind of ride with Green Bay and the NFC North. Uh, for the rest of that division, I have the Vikings coming in second. Um, depending on how Kirk Cousins could do, that's a team that potentially could win the division, although I don't see it. Um, at third place, I had the Detroit Lions. I like uh, the selection of Jeffrey Okuda. I think he's going to be a difference maker on that defense. And then finishing last, I had the Chicago Bears. Uh, for the reasons you mentioned, Donnie, I just don't like Trubisky at all in that quarterback position. And I think Nick Foles is going to end up as a starter, but um, he's not going to be able to propel the Bears to the playoffs. And I don't think the Bears are going to finish anywhere but the seller in the NFC North. Moving toward the NFC South, where I have uh, my one seed in the NFC, actually, that's New Orleans Saints. I think they win that division. Aside from Kansas City and the AFC West, this actually might be the most obvious pick for me. And as intriguing as the AFC South, NFC South is, excuse me, um, especially with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and what they've done in the offseason, I still don't see any real way that the Saints don't come out of the NFC South. Um, the rest of the order, I have the Saints in number one. Tampa at number two. Tampa stole pretty much all the headlines regarding the NFC South, but there's just so many question marks. Tom Brady's 43 years old. Rob Gronkowski hasn't played in a year and a half, and even if he is productive, we still don't know how healthy he's going to be, and that's the most important thing of all is his health. And Leonard Fournette, the recent running back signing, he's had his health issues as well. So I think Tampa Bay is going to be a playoff team, but I don't see them winning the division, and I don't know if they quite match the hype that they're generating in the offseason. Uh, three and four, I have Atlanta at three, Carolina at four. I could see them being flip-flop, but in any case, I don't think either the Falcons or the Panthers make the playoffs, although I'm intrigued to watch uh, what the Panthers do in the first season of the Matt Rule era. Moving toward the NFC East, uh, this is the worst division in football. Uh, we've all alluded to it. Uh, this division absolutely sucks. And I was tempted to kind of go with Philadelphia to repeat as NFC East champs because last season they had everything go wrong as far as um, injuries and just plain luck were concerned, and they still won that division. But this Dallas Cowboys team is too talented to not win the worst division in football two, uh, two years in a row. Um, I like that they've drafted C.D. Lamb. Uh, quick spoiler, he's my pick for Offensive Rookie of the Year. I think he's going to add uh, another weapon to that offense that already has Amari Cooper. I think Pres Pres Dak Prescott excuse me, is going to have a bounce back year. And um, as far as the order goes, uh, in the NFC East, I have Dallas a one, Philly two, uh, the Giants a three, and then the Washington football team um, in the cellar at four. The NFC West, um, I see San Francisco kind of in the NFC uh, the same way I see Baltimore in the AFC, and that they're a team that had pretty much everything go right last season, and I don't see the same happening this season. And with them playing in the NFC West, which I think is far and away the best division in football, I don't see San Fran being lucky enough to win that division again. I think it's going to be Seattle who – if not for that uh, great play at the goal line last season in Week 17, they easily could have won the NFC West, but it didn't work out that way. I think they're going to be a little more fortunate 
this season. Um, another quick spoiler, Russell Wilson is going to be my pick for NFL MVP. I think he's a guy that can carry a team, uh, can turn a good team into a great one, can turn a playoff team into a Super Bowl team. I think he's one of the rare players in football that just kind of elevates whatever team he's on to a higher level. Uh, I think he's kind of due to win an MVP, and I think this is the year that he does that, and that's going to be the main reason why the Seahawks and not the 49ers are the champions of the NFC West. For the rest of that division, I had the Cardinals had the free seed, uh, not the free seed, the third place team in the NFC West, and then I have the Rams uh, finishing in the last. Uh, the Cardinals are going to be kind of my surprise team in the NFC. I do think they qualify for the postseason with Tyler Murray having another year under his belt with the trade for DeAndre Hawkins, just absolute huge addition to that offense. So uh, that kind of rounds out my division winners uh, in the NFC. Um, as far as seeding goes, I have the Saints as the number one seed, Seahawks at two, Packers at three, Cowboys at four. Whoever wins the NFC East is going to be four. That's just a terrible division, which we all know. Uh, first wild card team is going to be the 49ers. Then I have Tampa Bay. I do have Tampa Bay making the playoffs, even though I was a little skeptical of them and their preseason hype. And then that last uh, – wild card spot I see going to the Arizona Cardinals I really do like uh, what that organization is doing I was critical of the hiring of Cliff Kingsbury um, but he I think Kingsbury and that organization they're uh, headed on an upward trend so uh, that's my playoff picture uh, in the NFC and I think there's definitely a lot more intrigue in the National Football Conference as opposed to the American Football Conference. Joe, I like what you said about C.D. Lamb. That's certainly a bold uh, rookie of the year pick because it almost always just goes to one of the top quarterbacks. I know Saquon got it a few years ago, but uh, I, I would be I would be shocked if a guy like Burrow or Tua didn't win it this year. Going to jump to how the playoffs play out here, and guys, I want to run through this pretty quickly. You know, really no explanation. Just say who plays who and who wins the game. Uh, and as the rounds go on. So I'll, I'll start my, my wild card round in the AFC. Two versus seven, I have the Bills beating the Broncos. Ravens, the three seed over the Patriots as the six. And the Steelers being the five seed, the only road team to win in that wild card round. They beat the Texans. NFC, this one a, a little bit crazy. I went a little bit wild with my NFC picks. I have all three road teams winning in the wild card round. The Cardinals shocked the Vikings seven over two. The Buccaneers beat the Saints in the third meeting, six over three. And the 49ers just stomped the Cowboys. Uh, that's a five over four matchup. Divisional round, the Chiefs will host and beat the Steelers. That's a one over five. The Ravens beat the Bills in Buffalo to set up a Chiefs-Ravens AFC title game. NFC, the Seahawks beat the Cardinals one over seven. And the 49ers beat the Buccaneers 5 over 6. AFC Championship, Chiefs over Ravens. NFC Championship, Seahawks over 49ers. I hate going chalk. I hate picking my one seeds to go to the Super Bowl, but that's just how I feel this year. And then I think the Seahawks beat the defending Super Bowl champion Chiefs 
in the Super Bowl. Kyle, we'll go to you next. Well, in the AFC wild card, I've got second-seeded Baltimore over the Cleveland Browns in the wild card round. I have the only road team, or the, I guess the two road teams, I have winning six Houston over three Buffalo in my projections, and then Pittsburgh at five, the first wild card team over the Tennessee Titans, five over four. In the NFC wild card, I've got Seattle over Green Bay, two over seven there. Minnesota defeating Tampa Bay in the, the wild card round, three over six. And the road team in the NFC that I have winning is San Francisco going to Dallas and winning uh, five over four there. In the divisional round, I've got Kansas City beating then number six Houston and Baltimore hosting Pittsburgh and winning that game to set up Kansas City-Baltimore in the AFC title game. In the NFC divisional round, I've got New Orleans over San Francisco and Seattle over Minnesota, which sets up New Orleans defeating Seattle in the NFC championship game. And I've also got KC over Baltimore in the AFC title game. Give me the Chiefs over the New Orleans Saints in the Super Bowl. So for the AFC, Baltimore the top seed, and this is how I have it broken down. So two for seven, two uh, or two and seven, I should say. Kansas City and Denver at AFC West showdown. Uh, actually, two of, the th- two of the three wild card games I have in the AFC are divisional showdowns. Kansas City over Denver, the 3-6. Buffalo over New England. I think New England gets Buffalo twice in the regular season, but Buffalo gets them a third time in the playoffs. And then five for, uh, or 4-5, Houston and Pittsburgh. I have the Steelers. Uh, I guess you can call that an upset. Five over four over the um, Houston Texans. The um, semifinal matchup, I have Kansas City and Buffalo. I have the Chiefs winning that one. And then Baltimore and Pittsburgh, I have the Ravens taking down the Steelers. Baltimore and Kansas City in the AFC Championship give me the defending champion Chiefs out of the AFC. In the NFC, the top seed, New Orleans Saints. And then we have two through uh, two and seven. Uh, Green Bay, Arizona, give me the Cardinals in an upset here. I like the Arizona Cardinals uh, in um, going to Lambeau in late in the season and taking down the Packers. Three through six, uh, or three and six, I should say. I don't know why I keep saying through. Dallas and Minnesota, I have the Cowboys winning there. And then Seattle, Tampa Bay, give me the Buccaneers over the Seattle Seahawks. A little bit of an upset five and four in round one. In the divisional round, New Orleans-Tampa Bay, a divisional matchup for the third time in the playoffs. Brady versus Breeze. Give me Breeze here. Dallas and Arizona. Give me the Cowboys. NFC Championship, New Orleans and Dallas. Give me the Cowboys. For whatever reason, I think, and I think it has to go back to maybe uh, the Dallas Cowboys being a talented football team in a bad division, but I think based on how bad the NFC is, or NFC East is, two, three, and four, I think we're really underselling how good number one is, and I think it's the Dallas Cowboys. I haven't talked about Mike McCarthy either. I think Mike McCarthy could potentially be a Hall of Fame coach. He's in Dallas this year, and I think he's going to put the Cowboys in the Super Bowl. Chiefs-Cowboys for the Super Bowl. Give me the defending champions, the Kansas City Chiefs. I even have a score here for the heck of it. 38-28, to Kansas City Chiefs going back-to-back. Patty Mahomes. It's his league, and we're all living in it. Okay, starting with the AFC playoff predictions for the 2020 NFL season. Uh, in the wild card round, they have the second-seeded Steelers getting past the seventh-seeded Indianapolis Colts. I also have an upset in the 6-3 matchup with the Bills being the New England Patriots. Uh, for whatever reason, I see Buffalo going into Foxborough and slaying that dragon in the New England Patriots, similar to how Tennessee – did last year what Derrick Henry kind of running amok uh, in Massachusetts. 
The 4-5 matchup, I have the Ravens getting revenge on the Titans for ending their season in that ugly divisional playoff loss last year. And as a bonus, I have Baltimore winning in Tennessee's house in Nashville. Moving to the divisional round, the top-seeded Kansas State Chiefs, I expect them to take care of business against the Ravens in the divisional round. I also have the Bills pulling another upset, beating the Steelers in Heinz Field, kind of how it happened last year, only this time the Steelers will come in as the favorites. And um, unfortunately, I foresee another playoff disappointment, and the Bills are going to be uh, the reason for that. So the AC title matchup, I have the glass slipper, slipper kind of breaking with Buffalo, and I have the Chiefs beating the Bills um, in Arrowhead and making their way to the Super Bowl. In the NFC, starting with the wild card round, I have Seattle beating the seven-seeded Cardinals in that NFC West matchup and moving onward to the divisional playoffs in the free six game. I have the Packers beating Tampa Bay in Lambeau and then the four-five matchup, the 49ers beating the Dallas Cowboys uh, in Arlington. So kind of chalked straight through, even though the five-four is technically an upset, but I think most people would pick San Francisco over Dallas in a hypothetical playoff matchup if that is to occur. In the divisional round, the top-seeded Saints, I have them beating the 49ers and moving to the NFC title game for the second time in three years. And then the other divisional playoff matchup, I have Seattle getting past Green Bay, avenging last year's divisional round loss in, in the NFC championship game. Add the New Orleans Saints being the Seattle Seahawks in your uh, cookie-cutter 1-2 matchup and moving on to the Super Bowl. And then in the Super Bowl, I have the Saints being the Kansas City Chiefs and winning their second Super Bowl overall and first since uh, 2009. I just feel that this is the year the Saints kind of uh, slay what's become an unfortunate reputation as a team that does very well in the regular season and then equally poorly in the postseason. I think the Saints kind of uh, exercise those playoff demons and uh, win their second Super Bowl and give Drew Brees another ring and another uh, notch on the belt. And I wouldn't be surprised if Drew Brees decides to retire on that note. So Saints over Chiefs uh, in the Super Bowl as a bonus. Uh, My score prediction is going to be 31-21. to uh, in favor of New Orleans. All right, guys, jumping ahead to individual awards. Another thing want to get through quickly, just state the award and state who wins. Uh, MVP for me, I'm going to go Russell Wilson. That's a big reason why the Seahawks win it all. Offensive player of the year, Patrick Mahomes, that speaks for itself. Defensive player of the year, Nick Bosa. I think he's one of the fastest rising stars defensively in football. Offensive rookie of the year, Joe Burrow. Number one overall pick, you know, that they always like to side with the top quarterback in the draft. Defensive rookie of the year, Isaiah Simmons in Arizona. So many different things that Cardinals can do with him defensively helps that team make the playoffs. Coach of the year, same team, Arizona Cardinals, Cliff Kingsbury. That squad makes the playoffs. Comeback player of the year, Big Ben, Godsend, 
number seven for Pittsburgh, wins comeback player of the year. I'll jump over to, to my MVP award. I think it's Russell Wilson, too. I think there's a lot of guys that you can throw into the MVP discussion. I, I won't go with the, the bandwagon pick in Patrick Mahomes. Everyone's going to come across with that pick. So give me Russell Wilson and a big reason. Like Donnie said, he hasn't won at all. A big reason why I haven't won in the NFC West in the contentious division. Uh, comeback player of the year, I have Ben Roethlisberger as well. Uh, of course, the the – uh, book is out on Alex Smith if he plays in meaningful downs for the Washington football team. I think there's probably a good chance that they give it to him just based off the situation. But give me Ben. Uh, offensive player of the year, I have Kyler Murray. Despite me not having the Arizona Cardinals in the playoffs, I think he is going to have a monster season with the acquisition of DeAndre Hopkins. And, and they've got a pretty good team around him as well. So give me Kyler Murray for the offensive player of the year. Uh, defensive player of the year, give me TJ Watt. Uh, not only because I have a, a bet in at the Rivers Casino on TJ Watt to win that, uh, but because I thought he should have probably won it last year, and he probably only can improve a little bit this year if he continues to trend upward. Offensive Rookie of the Year, I've got Joe Burrow from Cincinnati, the quarterback. Defensive Rookie of the Year, I've actually probably got a little bit of a surprise. Uh, I've got Baltimore's Patrick Queen, the linebacker from the first round for Baltimore as the defensive rookie of the year over uh, a close edge over Chase Young. I think if Chase Young's sitting around seven or eight, nine sacks, I don't think he wins the award. Uh, and I think Patrick Queen is an awesome fit in that Baltimore defense. So give me him as defensive rookie of the year uh, and he making an, him making an impact in the AFC North. And then I have Sean Payton as coach of the year. I had Mike McCarthy penciled in for a while, but being that I have New Orleans as a number one seed going to the Super Bowl, uh, give me Sean Payton from New Orleans as the coach of the year uh, over Mike McCarthy. And I think Mike Tomlin ends up running uh, towards the coach of the year as well this year with the rebound from last year. So, yeah, so a lot of the reason why I have the Dallas Cowboys in the Super Bowl uh, is Ezekiel Elliott, and that's my pick to win MVP. I think he's going to come back and have an absolute monster season. It seems that every year Zeke Elliott is near the top in every rushing category, if not at the top. And I think this is finally the year that it all culminates for Ezekiel Elliott, and he wins uh, the Most Valuable Player Award. Offensive Player of the Year, Kyle. I agree with Kyler Murray. Uh, seventh seed in the playoff meet for Arizona. I think the addition of DeAndre Hopkins is going to be awesome for him. Uh, I think he's going to be able to move the ball with his feet as well. Uh, and Larry Fitzgerald, despite how old he is, he has more catches in his career than, or more tackles than drops in his career. Still a very, very good wide receiver. Offensive player of the year, who I just mentioned, Kyler Murray. Defensive player of the year, Minka Fitzpatrick. Uh, a lot of people, uh, are, and, and me included, so when Minka was traded to the Steelers, they originally told him, hey, man, just play safety. This year, he uh, has a system or a, a season long uh, with the Steelers and then an off season in the system. He's going to be doing a heck of a lot more for that defense this year, and he's going to be making a bigger impact. I think Minka wins defensive player of the year. Offensive rookie of the year, Clyde Edwards Hilaire, for whatever reason, I think. Uh, Andy Reid, rookie running backs, seems to bode well. The rookie out of LSU, 32nd overall pick in the draft. Offensive rookie of the year. Defensive rookie of the year, I have Chase Young. I think he ends up getting the double-digit sacks. Coach of the year, again, Dallas in the Super Bowl. Give me Mike McCarthy for that one. Comeback player of the year, number seven. He's going to throw for over 4,000 yards and look like he did 10 years ago. Uh, Steelers might not win the Super Bowl, but Big Ben – coming back and throwing touchdowns is going to make us and a lot of fans happy. All right, my MVP in the NFL this year is uh, Russell Wilson uh, for the reasons I mentioned earlier and for the reasons that Donnie and Kyle um, expanded upon um, in this segment. Um, offensive player of the year is where I stray a little bit. Uh, Saquon Barkley, uh, maybe it's because I want to be different. Maybe it's because I'm a Penn State diehard. 
But I just think that uh, this running back is going to stick out like an absolute sore thumb uh, on an otherwise uh, pretty, pretty poor Giants team. So that's my pick. Uh, the defensive player of the year, initially I had Khalil Mack, but I changed it to Nick Bosa because I can't see a player on a last place team, which I think the Bears will be winning that award. Um, offense rookie of the year, I have C.D. Lamb. Uh, I think Lamb benefits from playing on a team that I think is probably going to win its division, which not a lot of top rookies, Joe Burrow, uh, Tua Tagovailoa, um, will have that benefit. So I think Lamb kind of benefits from playing on a team that's good, and I think he's going to be a big reason why the Cowboys kind of have a bounce back year and win the NFC East. Uh, defensive rookie of the year, uh, Jeff Okuda from the Lions. I think he's going to be a difference maker. Um, in that secondary uh, comeback player of the year. Um, I'm going to go with Cam Newton uh, for whatever reason. I think uh, Ben Roethlisberger might deserve offensive uh, or comeback player of the year, excuse me, but the voters will uh, go with uh, Cam Newton uh, maybe because of the team he plays for. Uh, but my gut tells me that the votes are going to go uh, with uh the quarterback of the New England Patriots as opposed to the quarterback of the Pittsburgh Steelers. And then uh, my coach of the year is Cliff Kingsbury uh, for the simple reason that the Cardinals were among the worst teams in football a few years back. And if they make the playoffs this year, which I think they will out of the NFC West, uh, that's going to be a credit to Kingsbury and what he's doing with that organization. So uh, yeah, that's rounding up my award predictions uh, for uh, the NFL in 2020. Finally, we'll go around the room. Just give one surprise your biggest surprise in the nfl don't go uh too in depth onto this one but just what you think the biggest nfl surprise of 2020 will be kyle we'll go to you first i don't even know what i want to have as a surprise i, I think if anything for me i i have the green bay packers in an nfl pos a playoff position but I, I wouldn't be surprised if they miss the playoffs uh i think aaron Rodgers is regressing a little bit uh and that defense is still pretty good but wasting a first round pick on the eventual heir this heir to the throne I guess in Green Bay I think it's going to end up costing them uh, but I don't know that there are a ton of major surprises or like bold hot take predictions that I'll make so I guess I'll just say don't be surprised if if Green Bay misses the playoffs and don't be surprised if there's some shuffle around from what you think or in going into the NFL, NFL season or favorites from a team perspective. Yeah, I agree with Kyle. I'm not sure if there's one big thing I could take away. I mean, maybe perhaps my Cowboys to the Super Bowl uh, or maybe Zeke as MVP is a hot take. Um, another one that I kind of bounced around too, and I threw them in there towards the end of, or rather towards the beginning of this recording, uh, I called an audible on myself. I put San Francisco in the playoffs. I'm not surprised if they miss. I think they take a little bit of a step back. I think trading uh, a starting defensive tackle for a first-round pick isn't really in win-now mode, and I think that hurts them a little bit on the defensive side of the ball. And Jimmy Garoppolo loses Emmanuel Sanders, too, to throw to. Uh, I'm not sure how good San Francisco is going to be. Am I going to pick them to go back to the Super Bowl? Absolutely not. But if there were two teams, or there are two teams, Kansas City and San Francisco, one more than likely to have a Super Bowl hangover, I think it's San Fran, and it's not even close. So don't be surprised if they miss the playoffs. Uh, my surprise, I already talked about a little bit, and that's the Buffalo Bills making it to the AC title game. Um, I think that the Bills have had or have probably their highest expectations that they've had in quite some time, largely because of New England probably flying under the radar for the first time in God knows how many years. I think 
if my prediction holds true and they don't win the division, Buffalo is going to go into the NFL postseason um, with not a lot of expectations on it. And I think that if a team that hasn't won a playoff game in 20 years ends up going to getting within one game of the Super Bowl, that's going to be something that opens a lot of eyes. So that's my surprise. I also have kind of a bonus. Rob Gronkowski does not play any more than 11 games. Um, because of his injury history. But I'd say the biggest uh, surprise that I foresee happening is Buffalo uh, coming within 60 minutes of going to the Super Bowl um, for the first time since uh, the Jim Kelly, uh, Furman Thomas era. To round it out, guys, uh, I have my big surprise is the Vikings claiming the two seed in the NFC. Now I do have them losing in the wild card round to the seventh, seventh seeded Cardinals. But I really like this Vikings team, at least in the regular season. Added Yannick and Gawkway to join Danielle Hunter on the defensive line. Anthony Barr and Eric Kendricks in the middle. Harrison Smith, a very underrated safety. I love that defense. The offense lost Stephon Diggs, but still has pieces. Adam Thielen, Delvin Cook. Uh, if Kurt Cousins can step up, I really like this Vikings squad in 2020. But, fellas, that'll do it for us. Uh, I want to thank Kyle Dawson, Jack Hilger of Joe Smelter. Uh, also, a thank you to John Clayton for joining us earlier, Hall of Fame NFL writer, insider, and analyst. A uh, reminder, the Come On Network, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to subscribe, stream, download, rate, and review. Also, feel free to leave feedback where you see fit. Check us out and follow us on Twitter, Twitch, and Instagram at Come On Network. C-O-M-O-N-N-E-T-W-O-R-K. Also check out our website, comeon.network, where you will find podcast episodes, blogs, and pretty much everything from sports to wing reviews. And eventually we will have merch available as well. The NFL season is right around the corner. You can pretty much smell it. Only three days away from the NFL kickoff on Thursday, under one week away from our first NFL Sunday and also the Steelers playing in one week from today. We will have a Steelers preview episode coming out later this week, likely on Friday morning. Until then, we got football under a week away, people. Come on.